as Jesus has forgiven us, we're called to forgive one another. And we just sang the song, Jesus paid it all. Isn't that why we're here this morning? Because Jesus paid it all. It's the only reason that we're a part of his family, and we celebrate that as we have a chance to come together today. Uh, Jesus paid it all, and we're so thankful for his great forgiveness. Uh, Friends, last week I spoke in Shakopee on Romans 16, and there are 38 different names in Romans 16. And so when I got to the passage for this week and saw all of the names, I immediately said to Pastor Joel, who's leading worship? And he said, Jason is leading worship. And I said, great. I think Jason should do the scripture reading. And so Jason had an opportunity to read our passage today uh, and to help you all with those names or not. Yeah, whatever. It's great. Uh, We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 8. So you can turn there in your Bibles or your devices as we start a new sermon series called God Wrote a Book. Next week... We're going to have a special guest here who is going to talk to us about how the Bible is unique compared to any other book and how we can understand it and trust it to be the Word of God. The week after that, we're going to look at the difference, the transformational difference that the Bible can make in our lives. But today, I want to talk to you about how we meet with God day in and day out in His Word. And I've chosen that language very intentionally, meet with God in His Word, rather than language about having devotions or having a quiet time. I've chosen this language, meet with God in His Word, and we're going to see why that language is vital as we make our way through here over the course of the next few minutes. As I said, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, walking through some of those verses as a template for how we meet with God in His Word, but to give you a little bit of context about what we read in Nehemiah 8 today. That passage takes place a hundred years after the people of Israel have returned from exile. They participated in all sorts of idolatry and wickedness, and so God sent them into 70 years of exile in which they were enslaved in other kingdoms. And then they returned from that exile, and it has now been a hundred years that they have been back. The walls are rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, and now the Jews are falling back into all of the same sins that got them exiled in the first place. What do they need right now? They need revival. They need to turn away from the sins that they are entering back into and to begin to walk with God once again. They need to be revived. Is there anyone in here who needs revival today? Is there anyone who needs their mind and their heart revived? Is there anyone who, who, like Israel, perhaps got lackadaisical about their relationship with God, began to slip into pursuing their own pleasures rather than what God designed, and needs revival in terms of their daily life, their decisions, their relationship and walk with God? What we see in Nehemiah chapter 8 is the people of God experience revival by meeting with God in His Word. And if we want revival in our lives, we need to be a people who come and prayerfully meet with God in His Word. And today I want to talk about how we do that. We'll use Nehemiah chapter 8 as a template. And you guys, we're going to start with something that may seem very simple. You want to meet with God in His Word? You got to read it. 
right? You, you got to read it. That's where they started. Look at this. And he read it, Ezra read it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. They would never have had this transformational experience of meeting with God if they hadn't opened the book and read God's words. we got to be a people who are willing to read it. Now, if you were Satan, I'm not going to ask you to pretend you're Satan very often in here, but for right now, right? Just, just imagine with me that you were Satan and you recognize God has given his people a book through which they can know about him and know him and meet with him. What would your primary strategy be in order to damage God's work and damage God's people? Wouldn't you seek to devalue reading? Wouldn't you seek to raise generation upon generation that just says, eh, reading's not really my thing? Wouldn't you create a culture that was heavily video-based, meme-based, right, soundbite-based in order to shrink people's attention spans so that they couldn't grasp what God had given to them? Wouldn't you turn the educational and college systems into job preparation academies instead, into, instead of being genuine educational institutions that taught people logic and hermeneutics and reading fundamentals. Wouldn't that all be a part of your strategy? And I think some of that has taken place and worked. In a recent Gallup poll, 85% of those who say that they are Bible-believing Christians said that they think it is very important in order to meet with God in the Bible every day. 85%. In that same Gallup survey, 22% said they actually do. 85% say it's very important. 22% say they actually do. And i got to say, that has been my experience. As I deal with believers, as I think about my own life, There is a tremendous desire among God's people to meet with Him day in and day out in His Word, and sometimes the actuality doesn't match the desire. And so, is there anything that we can do about that? Do I have anything, besides making you feel guilty, is there anything that I can give you this morning that might be helpful? Here's a couple of things that I've found to be helpful in my life. First, make an appointment. We make appointments for the things that are important in our life. Over the last three years, there have been two or three times where I have tried to schedule something with Pastor Kenny on a Thursday night. And every time I've tried to schedule something with Pastor Kenny on a Thursday night, the answer has been, no, I'm already busy. Right? And some of you know why. Why? Because Thursday night is date night for Kenny and Cindy. Right? Young people, if you want a toilet paper there, no, 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 wait. I never said all of that. Thursday night's date night. It's important to them, and so it gets written on the calendar first. And nothing else overtakes that because it's written on the calendar first. There is absolutely nothing more important in our lives than the time that we have to spend each and every day meeting with the God of the universe in His Word. And so it goes on the calendar first. We make an appointment, and we keep that appointment day in and day out. I love it when it's at a regular time or a regular place in your day. It's our appointment. It's important. It's 
the first thing that goes in our day. There's nothing more important than that. Second, uh, have a plan. When you, when you sit down to open your Bible, to spend time with the Lord, don't, don't just let it flop open and stick your finger down and say, I guess that's it for the day. One of the things that we'll talk about in a few minutes is the Bible is one big arc, one big story. And it all connects to each other. And it is extremely helpful if we're going to spend time with the Lord in Mark chapter 6 today to have understood what happened in Mark chapter 5 yesterday and in Mark chapter 4 the day before that. And so find a reading plan that helps you see the passage you're dealing with in the context of the way that God has planned for it to be read. We have a Bible reading plan here as a church right now. And as we've been walking through it, it is helpful in terms of helping us see those passages within the context. There's even a commentary that goes along with it that's been helpful to understanding what some of those passages are about. But, if, if we can be real for a second, there may be many people in the room who say, I never started that plan. Yeah, I heard you talk about it somewhere, but I never started that plan. Or maybe there's people in the room who started the plan in January and were done by February. Either way, let me encourage you, jump back on. Jump back on. The plan is such so that you're going to get most of the New Testament and still get a chunk of the Old Testament. Better that than to go, well, I guess I'll just wait for next January 1st. Right? Jump back in with us and be a part of having a plan to meet with God. Make an appointment have a plan. we got to be a people who read it if we're going to meet with God in His Word. And as we read it, what do we want to be? We want to be attentive. We want to be attentive to God. Look at the second half of verse 3. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. When my wife and I uh, want to pay attention to each other, right? Like there's, there's a focus there. Right? There, there's a, an attention that we pay. We're attentive to one another. And we want to be attentive to God who is more important to us than absolutely anything. Uh, it, it's amazing to me. Ezra stands up and he reads to them for eight to ten hours. And we are told they are attentive. Right? Uh, how many of you made it through all that Jason read? Fully attentive. This is particularly amazing to me. They were attentive for the eight to ten hours that Ezra is reading to them from the law. How many times am I doing my time in the Bible in the morning and I get through six verses and I realize, oh shoot, my mind has wandered. I have no idea what I just read. Right? Anybody have that experience? Anybody have the experience where you go back and you read it again and you get to like the same place and you go, oh no, my mind wandered again. And three or four times you're going through until you finally maybe get it read. That is a battle that we are going to have every day. A battle that we need to fight, but a battle we're going to have every day because sin has not only affected our hearts, it has affected our minds and our abilities to focus on these things. And so we keep fighting the battle, seeking to pay attention, seeking to be attentive. Uh, Some things that I've found are are helpful in this. Oh, so adorable. Not as adorable as my puppy, but so adorable. Okay. First of all, recognize your meeting with God. When we meet with someone who is important or that we think has something important to say, we pay more attention and are more focused. 
uh, last year, my son went and competed in a track meet in North Carolina. He was the only person from the guys' team that went in order to compete at this particular track meet, and his coach last minute had an emergency and couldn't come. So he competed in this meet by himself down in North Carolina, didn't go particularly well, and he finds out that this couple that work for his college in donor development are going to be giving him a ride to the airport so that he can get back. Well, this couple that are in donor development ask our son, uh, are you okay going to a lunch appointment with us today? We're meeting with an alumnus of the school and uh, we don't really have a choice but to bring you and how else was he going to get to the airport? Right? Like that, it's the only response is yes at this point. And so they go to lunch. And my son sits there, and this guy that the couple is meeting with finds out that my son is uh, about to get engaged. And he begins to just talk to him about his relationship. For the next hour and a half, this guy talks to my son about dating, engagement, and marriage. Isaiah said he ignored the donor couple altogether, the donor recruitment couple, which who wouldn't want an excuse to do that? They're just there to get your money. My son was a wonderful excuse. And so they just focused on him. And, and this guy focused on Isaiah's and his relationship for an hour and a half. And Isaiah called me later on that day and was talking about how poorly the track meet went. And almost as an aside that he forgot, said, Dad, have you ever heard of Gary Chapman? And I said, oh, yeah, I've heard of Gary Chapman. Absolutely. And he goes, I, I had lunch with him today. He gave me a lot of guidance and advice about my relationship and all. And so my son had no idea who Gary Chapman was. And if you don't, that's fine. But I had to walk him through who Gary Chapman was. I had to walk him through what the five love languages were. He'd never heard of any of that. And as we're walking through this, it begins to dawn on him, wait a minute. I'm here in this pre-marriage state talking to maybe the country's most important pre-marriage expert. And he realizes, I, I didn't focus on a lot that he was saying. I just kept thinking about how poorly that track meet went. I had a hard time focusing on the things that he was saying. And all of a sudden, he has all of this regret. Like, if I only knew who it was, I would have paid so much attention to what he has to say. Because all of a sudden, he's like, wait a minute. That, that guy might have important stuff to say. I would have focused more. When we open our Bibles in the morning, it isn't to check an item off our to-do list. It isn't to get through our reading because we're supposed to go through our reading. When we open our Bibles in the morning, it's to meet with the living God who has the words of life that he wants to speak to us. And when we recognize that, it changes the attention that we pay as we're spending time with him in his word. Right, we, we want to be attentive, and that means recognizing who you're meeting with. Second, eliminate distractions. When my wife and I go out on date night, we don't go to Buffalo Wild Wings. Right? Do you know why? Yeah, you do. Because if we're going to spend quality time together, my wife prefers my eyes not drift 12 inches above her head to the 700 TVs that are back there watching one sporting event after another. And so we, we don't go to that because there's a whole lot of distractions there. 
Instead, we'll go someplace where we can eliminate those distractions and spend time together, focus time together. When we meet with God in His Word, we don't want to just spend time with Him. We want to spend quality time with Him, the very best of our time with Him. So we want to eliminate distractions. Get get in a room by yourself. Get in your closet. Get in your bathroom, whatever it takes. If your phone is constantly barking at you and beeping at you, don't take it in the room with you. By all means, if you've got stuff popping up over and over again, don't try and do your time with the Lord on your phone. That stays in a different room altogether if it's an issue. If you have young kids, block for each other. When my wife and I had young kids in the home, they always wanted the attention of whoever was trying to spend time with the Lord. And so we would have to block for each other. Erica, I'm taking the kids right now. You go upstairs and lock the door. Right? They're mine. Okay, now it's my turn, right? Block for each other. Whatever you got to do, eliminate distractions in order to be able to spend time with the Lord. Third, give God your best time. There is a concept that flows throughout the scriptures of first fruits. First fruits are the first and best of what we have. And God calls on us regularly to bring to Him our first fruits in worship. He doesn't want leftovers. He doesn't want seconds. He wants the very best of what we have because it shows honor and love for Him. And I believe that's true when it comes to our time when we go to meet with the Lord. We're to give to Him the very best time of our day, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. Not not leftovers squeezed in, but the very best time of our day. For many of us, maybe not all of us, but for many of us, that means the Lord gets the very first time of the day. We start the day with Him and we say, there is absolutely nothing more important that I will do this entire day than this time that I get to spend with the living God right now. And so we start the day with the Lord. We give God our best time. And finally, I found it helpful to write to God. Some of you may be different than this, but I'm a a pretty visual processor. And so if I'm not writing or doing something, I'll tend to drift, right? My mind is prone to wander, as somebody said. And in the midst of that, I found it to be very helpful to my attentiveness if I am writing to God while I'm reading from Him. And so I am reading the passage and I am writing praises that relate to that and writing thanks and writing confession. And I am writing to the Lord in the midst of the dialogue that we are having. Again, this may not be for you, but it is helpful for me in terms of my attentiveness to be a writer uh, during these times. Be attentive. And as we are attentive, we want to recognize that we are reading the Lord's word for relationship. Uh, look, at, look at this next set of verses. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. While they're reading the word of God, they're interacting with God through praise and prayer here. They're reading Uh, isn't just to gain some good information out of what Ezra is saying. They are meeting in order to spend time with the living God, to worship Him, to exalt Him. We read the Bible in relationship, and that's different than the reason we read any other book in our life. 
Right? Sometimes we may read a book for entertainment. We don't read the Bible primarily for entertainment. Uh, a month and a half ago, when my wife and I were on our way home from Montana after my son's wedding, we had a 15-hour drive ahead of us in the car. And I put on the audiobook of The Fellowship of the Rings in order to pass the time. I hadn't read that for decades. And it was successful. I got caught up into a different world. I was entertained for hours as we drove along. Right? I read for entertainment, or listened in this case, for entertainment's sake. And sometimes we read for entertainment. Now, the Bible has all sorts of passages that are entertaining. When I was in the second grade, I read Exodus 1 through 19 over and over and over again because to a second grader, the plagues are highly entertaining material. There's entertaining material in the Bible, but you know what I've noticed? By the 15th time I've read it, it's a little less entertaining because I kind of know how it's going to turn out. And can, can we acknowledge that there are some parts of the Bible that aren't entertaining at all? Have you ever read any of those parts? Right? Which is just fine because we don't read the Bible for entertainment. We also don't read the Bible primarily for information. There are certain things that we read not because they entertain us, but because they inform us. A few weeks ago, I got out the owner's manual for my car. I didn't get that out for the sake of entertainment. Right? I got it out in order to get some information. And when we come before the Bible, we recognize that it is filled with great information. Historical information, geographical information, cultural information. Very important information about the character of God and how people can relate to Him. And we want to know, listen to me very carefully here, we want to know as much of that information as possible. But that information is never the end in and of itself. It is only a means to the end of knowing and being in relationship with God. There are times where I've met people whose end is information about the Bible, as if when they got to the Day of Judgment, there was going to be a Bible trivia... And if you won the Bible trivia, you got to go to heaven. Right? That, that's never to be our attitude towards the Bible, just to collect information so that we have the most information. No, we, we are to, by all means, learn information from the Bible as much as possible, but it's always a means to the end of knowing God and being in relationship with Him. And so we don't read primarily for entertainment. We don't read exclusively for information. Instead, we read for relationship, so we read prayerfully. We read prayerfully. If Nehemiah chapter 8 happens to be the passage where I am tomorrow, I don't just throw open the Bible to chapter 8 and begin reading. I, I open up the Bible and I begin to pray and I spend time with the Lord asking Him to work in my heart and mind during this time that I'm going to be in the Word. I acknowledge His presence and, and His greatness, and we begin dialogue together as His Spirit continues to press the truth of Scripture into my life, and I continue to prayerfully respond to Him. And so we are reading in relationship because the Word of God is living and active, right? and it impacts our lives in relationship. We want to read it, we want to be attentive, we want to read for relationship. And in order to do all of that, we got to understand the meaning of what we're reading. 
I can't meet with God in his word if I don't actually understand what it is I'm reading. And so we want to be a people who understand the meaning. Before I put up some tips here in terms of understanding the meaning, I would say maybe the greatest way to become a greater understanding of the meaning of Scripture is to read Scripture. To just keep reading it and reading it and reading it. And that, more than anything else, will help us become good understanders of what the Scripture is talking about. And as we're doing that, a couple of tips. Oh, sorry. Passage. Also... All those names that Jason skipped, who happen to be Levites, help the people understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. The Levites read it. They helped people understand what they were reading. They gave the greatest sense of what was being talked about. How do I rightly understand a passage? Well, first of all, understand it within its context. You've all heard the old story slash joke about the guy who was really struggling emotionally and for life direction, and he decided that he wanted God's input on all of this. And so he took his Bible, he let it fall open, and with eyes closed, he put his finger down on a verse and said, that is God's word for me. And his finger fell to Matthew 27, 5. Then Judas hanged himself. He thought to himself, that's not right. So he tried again. Let the Bible flip open. Eyes closed, finger down. Luke 10, 37. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. (laughs) The man at this point was panicked. This can't possibly be God's word for me. So he tried it one more time. Bible flips open. Finger down, eyes closed. John 13, 37. Whatever you are about to do, do it quickly. This is an old joke slash story. But it does make the point that when we rip verses completely out of their context, we can literally make the Bible say anything. We have to read the passages within the context that God has given to us. This is particularly important. Well, it's important at all times, but it is particularly challenging within our culture. We live in a a meme-based, soundbite world where people put out a, a half a verse here or one verse there, sometimes ripped out of a context and put into a context where it doesn't apply at all. And so when we're meeting with God, we want to be careful about making sure we are reading within the context in which God has written it so that we understand what God is saying and how it fits with the rest of the Scriptures. We want to understand the context. Second, We want to seek help from experts. There are plenty of times when I am reading my Bible in in the morning and I come to a verse and I'm like, "Uh, what does that mean? Anyone else? As a matter of fact, I, I have the experience many times where I come to a verse or passage and I go, wait, what does that mean? And I have the distinct sense that I knew what it meant 10 years ago. I know, I know I studied this. I, I know I, I knew it at one time. But you guys, my brain leaks. It leaks all the time, all over. And I'm like, oh, I, I knew this 10 years ago. I heard a great sermon about this 15 years ago. They had the answer. Oh, I don't remember any of it. And what I have found is it is very helpful in those situations where I don't remember or don't know exactly what was meant to deal with experts 
who have spent their life studying the Scriptures and who are acknowledged by other experts as experts in the Word. I don't think there's been anything more helpful to me in terms of understanding the meaning of the Scriptures as I'm meeting with God on a daily basis than my ESV study Bible. Uh, I've got a whole lot of commentaries in my office. That's great. But if you ask me, what is the one tool that's been most helpful to me? It has been that ESV study Bible. And there's a lot of great study Bibles out there. That's just the one that happens to have been most helpful to me because I, I really appreciate the notes that are in it. And there are plenty of times I need to consult it to say, oh, yeah, yeah, give, give, me, give me what we're talking about here. Help me out. And so uh, my ESV study Bible cost me uh, $19.99. My wife and I paid $19.99 for a sub at Subway this week, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Like we bought two subs and it came to $38. What is going on at Subway? I'm sorry, that's a different subject for a different sermon. <laughs> for the price of a sandwich, you can invest in something that will help you in your meetings with God on a regular basis. For the price of two cups of coffee at Caribou, you can invest in something that will be of eternal benefit to you because you'll understand what the Scripture is saying more. Seek help from the experts. And third, find the principle. The Levites helped them to understand the big sense of what was being said. The principle is the big teaching in a passage. That big teaching that we want to make sure that we apply. There are certain things that the Bible talks about which are for that time and that place. And they don't necessarily fit in our culture. We got a great example of that four weeks ago when we walked through Romans chapter 14 and we talked about this debate that was going on within the church about whether or not you should eat meat or vegetables only because all of the meat had been sacrificed to idols. We don't deal with that. Meat sacrificed to idols. But the big principle of that passage that we are to welcome and not judge those that we disagree with when it comes to non-biblical matters, matters not clearly taught in the Scripture, that is a principle that needs to be applied across every church for all time. And so we want to be able to say, okay, there's some things in here that are for that time and that place. Passages about braided hair or last week, greet with one another with a what? A holy kiss. But behind those things that might be for that time and that place, there are principles about modesty, decency, or, or principles about enthusiastic welcome within the body that are for all time and all places. And so we want to find those principles, discover those principles within the Scripture. And that's what we then apply. That's what we apply. Finally, we get to application. We read it. We're attentive. We read for a relationship. We understand the meaning. We pull out the principle and we apply that in our lives. How did the people in our passage apply the Scriptures? First, through praise and exaltation of God, didn't they? Hands raised and they're on their face before the Lord. Then they applied the Scripture through weeping and repentance. Then they applied the Scripture, because of some direction, through rejoicing and celebrating all that God had done that is good because He is good. And we want to be a people who never just read it and go, okay, I understand it now. 
we always want to move on to the application. Three ways that we should be applying the passages as we come to them in our, our daily times with the Lord. First, apply it through praise. In my natural selfishness, I come to the Bible and I immediately say, what's in here for me? How does this affect me? And we need to get there. And we're going to get there in a minute. But first, if the Lord's Prayer teaches us anything, it's that we start with His name and His kingdom and His will. And so we start by praising and thanking God. The Bible is about the greatness of our God. There are large chunks that are primarily about Him and His greatness. And so we need to start by worshiping Him through praise and through thanksgiving as we apply the Scriptures. If we come to Nehemiah chapter 8 here, in our time with the Lord tomorrow, we're praising Him for His patience. The Jews have returned to all of the sins for which they have been exiled And God is now bringing them back. How many times has he had to do that with me? How many times has he seen me fall back into things that I thought I was rid of? And has had to in patience and and, uh, what's what's the King James word? Forbearance, long-suffering, there we go, uh, been with me as I come back to a place of repentance guided by his word and by the Holy Spirit. I praise him and I thank him for his word. God didn't have to communicate with us at all. But he has communicated with us about who he is and how we can relate to him. What beauty there is in that. I praise him because he is a God of all joy. He is joy itself. And he wants his people to be a people of rejoicing. And when they are worshiping, he says, no, no, no. This is the day of the Lord. Rejoice. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's right. And so he calls us to be a people of rejoicing and joy. We want to apply the Word of God through praise. Second, we want to apply the Word of God through meditation and memorization. You guys know Psalm 1, 1 through 3? Are you familiar with that? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night, day and night meditates on the law of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. We want the word of God to saturate our minds and hearts for the sake of transformation. We want it to saturate every bit of who we are. And so when we come to the word and spend time with the Lord, we may pull a part of it out for the purpose of meditation and memorization. I would encourage you to think about dating a verse for a day. You open up your Bible in the morning, you're spending time in the Word, and a particular verse strikes you that is about the principle in that passage, and you're like, yes, that's the verse. And for me, it helps me to learn if I write. So I write it down on a three-by-five card. Yep, that's the verse. And then it's my date for the rest of the day. As I'm driving into work, that verse is getting worked through in my mind, word by word. As I'm at lunch, I'm praying through that verse. As I'm on my way home from work in the car, I'm spending time reworking the verse in my own words to make sure I understand it fully. At night, 
I'm praying through that verse and just saying, Lord, how did that verse affect my day today? Date that verse for the day. And when you're done, maybe you say at the end of that day, you know what? I need another date with that verse tomorrow. I think that's got to work through my life some more. I'm going to date it again tomorrow. And maybe the day after that. But spend a day in, in meditation and memorization with the Word of God so that it saturates our minds and our hearts. Finally, we apply the Word through obedient action. How shall we then live in light of what we have just read? How shall we then live? Did God's Word convict me of something and I need to confess and repent? As I read, did God's Word challenge me in something and I need to step up? Did God's Word call me to a particular conversation with somebody? Did God's Word call me to a different way of thinking, speaking, acting? What is God calling me to in this? How shall I then live in light of what He has said? Apply it through obedient action. I I don't feel like uh, this would be uh, helpful in any way if we didn't pause right now and just spend some time praying about what obedient action God might be calling you to in the midst of this. So would you guys just bow your heads with me and spend a moment praying through what God is calling you to right now. An encouragement that he has for you that you just need to sit in? Is there something that you need to confess? Is there some way in which God's calling you to something different in your life? Acknowledge those things and we recognize they're only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. So pray for that. Friends, we've talked about meeting with God in His Word. And the Scripture is very clear. The only reason that we can meet with God, the only reason that we can pass through the veil into the very Holy of Holies and spend time with God Almighty is because of the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that cleansing work and that Jesus paid it all every time we go to the Lord's table. And so I want to encourage you right now to be giving all thanks and praise to God for what he has done in order to cleanse us, in order to bring us into his family.